but, but I want to talk about, we talked about the price of discipleship. I don't know if anybody kind of put this together. We've kind of been following a system. When Jenny was here, she spoke on that path of discipleship that we make. Uh, and we're talking about the price of discipleship. Um, last time we talked about the priorities of a Christ follower, of a disciple. Because we, we, we've been, you know, emphasizing how that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. There are a lot of people who are fans. Remember we did that study? He's got enough fans, just yay Jesus, but he's looking for followers, people who are really followers. And we covered the fact that real disciples in those days, they lived with their teacher. They went where he went. They learned from him. And so when we become a disciple, we are a student, a follower of Jesus. And we find in the Bible that the disciples were first called Christians over there in Acts chapter 11. And it was in a place called Antioch. And they called them that because they were still, even though Jesus had ascended, they were still following him and learning, trying to be like him. And so if you're a Christian today, you're supposed to be a disciple or a Christ follower. And sometimes I want to say it that way because we just throw these words around and they lose their meaning in our language. So you're a Christ follower. We talked about the priorities that that Jesus brought out in that encounter with three different people. Remember? Well, hopefully some of you do. Well, today I want to talk about the produce of being a Christ follower or of a disciple. What's produced? And uh, I want you to just listen to this passage. Uh, You find it. uh, Read it along with me. You can sit. You can stand. You can do. I just want us to have freedom, you know, to just worship and not fall into just some rut or pattern or weird expectation. I just want you to feel free that whatever you want to do, if sometimes you just feel like you need to stand or if you need to kneel or if you just want to sit, it is totally you and the Lord here and you can experience this however you need to and no one else needs to look and judge in any way. All right. Okay. So I'm going to read this passage and I want you to read along with me in John chapter 15, John chapter 15 and verse one. Says Jesus said, I am the vine, the true vine, right? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, get this, Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, here's our key verse. By this, Jesus said, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So and so prove to be my disciples. 
Let's pray again. Father, I just ask your blessing on your word. I pray you'd open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to understand and apply it and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can't be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and be a secret disciple. There's no way. Uh, The effects of following Christ are going to show in our lives. They're going to come through our lives. And here's a couple of ways I want to bring out this morning uh, that people will know. How are they going to know? How, How would they know? They should know that you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people know a lot of stuff about us. They know what ball team you root for. They know maybe, maybe they know too much or they know a lot about your politics and how you feel about the pandemic, how you feel about the nation, how you feel about the vaccine, how you feel about the economy, how you feel about immigration, how you feel about all kinds of things. But do they know anything about how you feel about Jesus Christ? Or has all that other stuff blown it out of the water for you? I mean, or, or, or even with some of those things, could you ruin an opportunity to talk about Jesus or to show them Jesus? Uh, the evidence that ought to be the main thing in our life and what we're about is Christ and following him. And I just feel like there are so many things going on in our world And so many things going on because of all the complications of stuff and social media and all of that, that we just get distracted from the main thing. And what Jesus calls us to do as disciples is to, very simple, keep the main thing the main thing. Because we can get off track. And that is the, uh, following him. And the biggest thing that's going to come out of our lives is what comes through my life that glorifies God. Because the rest of it, we live our whole lives and none of the other stuff is going to matter. You know, there's a passage where he talks about judgment. About in that day, that day that's coming. I want to tell you that day's coming. You can deny it. You cannot believe it. It doesn't matter. It's still coming. That day of judgment. And for believers, the good thing is there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sins were judged at the cross. But we, the Bible speaks of, enter into a judgment that's not a judgment for salvation, but it's a judgment of fruit in our lives. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Paul talks about it. It's not really the point of the message today, but I just want to mention it. And the Greek word is, the, is bima, the bima seat. This is a different thing than the white throne judgment you read about in Revelation. But the bima seat was the place when they had athletic contests in those days where the awards were given out. And we're all going to stand there, he says, to receive what was done while we were here in this physical body, good or bad. And another place Paul talks about every person's work will be tried. What have you built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Because what have you built on it? And he does, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about whether it's wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, or precious stones. It's going to be tried by fire. What happens to wood, hay, and stubble when the fire comes to it? It's gone. Gold, silver, precious stones just gets more pure. So I don't want on the foundation of Jesus Christ in my life, who is my Savior, I don't want to just build wood, hay, stubble. 
I don't want my life to just be all about stuff that perishes and is gone. I want whenever I pass from here to there and stand before him, I want things to have come out of my life that last forever, that glorify him. And he receives all the glory, all the credit. We're going to be rewarded. We're going to be blessed forever, but he is glorified. Anything that doesn't glorify him is really, in the long run, meaningless. And this is part of what he talks about, about laying up treasure in heaven. What's it going to be like on that day? Because I'm going to tell you, a lot of the stuff that we're so absorbed in and that we're so obsessed in isn't going to matter. And it won't matter forever. And we'll wish that we had spent our time invested in what does matter forever. And build up treasure in heaven where it's waiting on us. Do, they, do people see evidence that we're following Jesus or would they not know unless we told them or are we even afraid to tell them? What is, are they seeing two things? Two things I want to bring out. Fruit and fellowship. Okay, we'll explain that as we go. Do they see and do they hear evidence of the presence of God, his truth, do they, his love, his grace in our lives? And then I want to mention about the fulfillment, because it's very fulfilling when we do this, all right? So first of all, let's talk about uh, some fruit, which, you know, somebody has said before that, um, I mean, and I take it as a compliment. And I don't know, this comes from the 1960s, so it's probably some of you older ones, that sometimes I'm a little fruity, you know? But that's a compliment, because that's what we want. We want to be, I'd rather you say fruitful, right? Instead of fruity. Uh, that's two different things there, right? Two different things. But uh, the first thing that crosses our mind when we read this passage is we think, and we think of produce, is the classic fruit bearing that Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 15, uh, where he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, right? And so um, this, this is the thing that we want to notice about this whole process that he's talking about being fruitful and something being produced in our life. That's what the fruit represents. Is, are you with me? It's what God produces through our lives. What God produces through our lives, all right? Uh, and first thing is that God initiates the process. Did you notice that? It's not us, it's him. It's him. It's all him. What we have to do is trust him. Now, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it also tells us there are a lot of false vines out there. There are a lot of false things you can attach yourself to and try to draw your significance through, and they're never going to matter. He's the true vine, and the heavenly Father is the vine dresser, the one who takes care. He's going to tend the vine. He's going to prune the vine. He's going to purge the vine. Okay? And so he says, abide in me. What does that mean? Well, it means stay connected to me. Remain in me. What he's talking about here is faith. How do you abide in him? Trusting him, submitting to him, relying on him completely. So when he's talking about abiding in him, he's talking about the life of faith. Totally trusting in Christ. He's the vine. And God initiates the process by making this possible. So if we're connected to Christ, who's the vine, then Christ himself produces his fruit through us. So the issue of fruitfulness is very important. And you see it coming out here. In fact, in verse 8, he's saying that if we are true disciples, one big mark of, of our lives is that we will glorify the Father. And just how do we glorify the Father? 
How is it we glorify God? You know, we've kind of established that glorifying God is our created purpose. God didn't create human beings because he was lonely. God is self-sufficient. You know what that means? That's one of the key doctrinal beliefs that we believe, one of our statements about God. One of his attributes is self-sufficient. God doesn't need anything. Ever. There's nothing that you or I do for him that he needs. In other words, if you don't do it, God's still going to be just as God. And, and, and if he wants to accomplish something, he'll accomplish it with you or without you. Voluntary or involuntary. Remember, we studied that on Wednesday night. God's going to get where he's going. The question is, do you want to get in on it? Right? And so, our created purpose is that our lives may glorify God. How do we do that? He says, this is one of the ways people will know that you're my disciple, by glorifying God. How do we do that? Verse 8, he says, we're going to come back to it a couple of times, that you bear much fruit. That's how you glorify God. The fruit that he produces in our lives. Let's take a, a closer look at that. And we notice that when we do it, the key of the whole thing is what? It's him. Yeah, is abiding in him. Because like we said, he produces the fruit. You've heard me say this a million times. And this was so powerful in my life as a teenager that I realized this. Because it was like, I want to be fruitful for God. I want to produce, I produce a lot of bad fruit. And I don't want to do that. I want to produce good fruit that glorifies God. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, right? The kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control. That's fruits of the Spirit that He produces through our lives and everything that goes with that. I want that. And so it's like, I'm not being very fruitful. In fact, I'm producing bad fruit. And, and I just, you know, I would want to come up after service and pray. And I Lord, forgive me for all that bad fruit. Lord, help me. And I just going to try real hard. I was going to try real hard this week. It's going to be different. And then next week, it's like, oh, Lord, one more time. Let's try this. I want to try harder. And, you know, there is a part that's our discipline and, and our effort. But, but the thing about it was is I was trying to produce his fruit in my strength and in my power. I can't produce the fruit. You can't produce the fruit. All we can do as branches is bear the fruit. So I quit focusing on just my outer, outer appearance of things I was doing. And I started focusing on the abiding in him part. Like he said. Like he said. And trusting him. This ain't connected to him. And I found as if I surrendered. And when I finally come up and I said, God, I can't do it. I can't. I surrender it to let you do it. In me. And through me. And we got a lot of growing and there's still a lot of pruning on this branch that, that needs to happen. I know. But there's something powerful happens when you get to that place of understanding what Jesus said. And trusting him and abiding in him. That is that the vine produces the fruit. We only bear it. So it's like the life of Christ flowing through us. You know, he said, my father is the vine keeper. I'm the vine. And it's been likened many times. He doesn't specifically say this, but the sap that flows from the vine into the branch that actually produces the fruit, it could be likened to the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, God, the spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ flowing into our lives and producing the fruit of the spirit through our lives. Abide in me. So that's the key to all of it.
And then he talks about this whole issue of helping us become more fruitful. And that uh, is the, uh, the purging and the pruning of the vine. Uh, you know, one day we read a story in uh, Mark chapter 11 about Jesus walking along one day and he sees this fig tree. And this fig tree is all leaved out. Leaved out. Oh, that's the way you're supposed to say it. But anyway, it had leaves, full grown mature leaves on it and that kind of tree by the time it had the full mature leaves that that the fruit was already ripe okay it's a little different than some of our trees it, it, it happens a little differently so by having this tree look that way it should have had fruit and Jesus walks along and he looks and instead of fruit there was no fruit it was barren and you know what Jesus did in Mark 11 he cursed that fig tree and when they came by it withered right now, we didn't doing that just because he, as God, could do that, and he was ticked off at that fig tree because I was really in the mood for figs. He didn't do it because of that, because he could have created figs out of whatever if he wanted them that badly. He did it as a sign. Everything he did, he did as a lesson to teach us. And the thing about it is, is that he's coming along, and we're like his fig trees, and he is looking under the leaves, and he is looking to see if there's fruitfulness. It's a big deal to him. He's looking. He's expecting to find fruit coming through our lives. Now, it is possible to be in Christ, but not be a very productive branch. I say that because I've been there way too much. Hmm? So I'm not talking about all oh, those unproductive branches. Like they're the problem. It could be me that's the problem. So I'm preaching to me and letting you listen, okay? All right. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me, so it's in him, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So we go from fruit to more fruit. I think this is very powerful. Because, uh, first of all, if you choose not to abide in him and begin to wither up. Look what he says in verse 6. I'm just going to read you what Jesus says. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, you deny the faith. You, you cease to want to trust Christ and be connected to him. It's what he says. If you do not abide in me, you're thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But it's also very possible to be a branch in Christ and there is little fruit, unproductive. I mean, you're not at the level that you should be. But if the Father sees the slightest hint of life of Christ in you, if you are truly saved, the life of Christ is in you. When he sees that, he goes to work Amen. with his pruning shears and with his knife. And sometimes it hurts because there's some dead wood that has to be cut back. You've got to get rid of it, okay? This is a whole nother sermon. I, I could just dwell on this for a long time. But, but there's dead wood in our lives. And that's what they do when they trim. They cut back all of the dead because it's just decaying. And it draws bad kind of insects, right? Just bad stuff. Where's the dead wood that needs to be cut out of our lives? God wants to do that. Why? Because he cares about your spiritual health and your fruitfulness. Amen. 
but it is sometimes painful. And then they not only cut away, when they're pruning the vine, they only cut away the dead wood from the branches, but cut back even some of the living. And sometimes it bleeds a little bit, so to speak. And sometimes it hurts a little bit. And you know what? It's not. I want to tell you that sometimes the pain and the things that God uses to help us grow can be difficult, but it's for our best. You know, it's like the doctor and you go in there with the splinter and says, now this is going to hurt. But this isn't going to get better unless you let me take this out. Right? And sometimes we want to just shortcut. We want to, we want to just, you know, find a way to bypass it. And you can't because he has to prune that branch. But he says this, that, uh, that, that notice the progression from fruit. You watch this? From fruit to more fruit to finally much fruit. Do you get that? That's what he wants. He goes on to say that, um, that he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And he says, you're already clean because of the word. The word that he's spoken has that purging, pruning effect in our lives. And he says again, abide in me. The branch can't bear fruit by itself. It has to abide in the vine. You can unless you abide in him. He's the vine. We're the branches. He says it again. We can't do anything without him. But if we're totally trusting him and we're totally abiding in him and his word's totally dwelling in us, you can ask what you want. He's going to do it. You know why? If you're abiding in him, his word's in here. What you're going to ask him is what he wants. And what he wants will be what you want. Who was it I heard say one time? He'll give you what you really want if you just had enough sense to want it. We don't even know, right? So when I am not really praying in total faith and submission and according to the word of God and I ask for things that are not in accordance with God's will and God's word, he graciously says no. But when I'm truly abiding in him and we are in sync, my spirit with the Holy Spirit, Boy, that statement is true. And he's going to open your eyes to things that he wants and that he wants to do that you get to be a part of and then you get to pray for it and you get to see it happen. And you just get more fruitful and more passionate. And it's not boring. It's the most exciting existence any human being could ever have. The life of the creator flowing through us. Powerful. So this is what he does. And he wants to get us to that final category of much fruit. So if you're a really disciple, your life is going to be this. And here's the verse. I'm going to pop the verse up there. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. This is it. This is the produce. The fruitfulness are the things that glorify him. It glorifies him. That's our created purpose. One man said this, that to many of us to give our lives to Christ appears so glorious. I want to pour myself out for you, Lord. I would die for you. You died for me. I would die for you. I would die for my brothers and sisters. I'll do it. I would pay the price of martyrdom. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. Glory. So he says, we think sometimes giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill, and I understand they used to have those. Like, represents our life, a $1,000 bill, and you slap it down and say, here it is. 
Here's my life, Lord. Take it all. But he said, in reality, here's usually the way it goes. Is that the Lord sends us to the bank. And says, cash that $1,000 bill for all quarters. And you take this giant bag of quarters with you. And you go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there, 75 cents there. You're going to help the neighbor's kid. You're going to talk to that person that's needy. You're going to get your hands dirty and help someone that you used to think was beneath you. But you're going to help them and you're going to help them grow through the struggles that they have. You're going to, you're going to keep going and just here a little and there a little. And you're, you're giving your, your, your life to the Lord and you're serving everyone else. You give a cup of cold water to someone who needs it. He says usually giving our life to Christ isn't like that glorious blaze of whatever. It's done in all of those little acts of love. 25 cents at a time. It'd be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. That's the fruitfulness he wants us to have. So I could keep talking on that. But there's that. And then there's fellowship. Because if you kept reading, uh, he goes on to say... Uh, after that, he says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. But when you're abiding in Him, you're abiding in His love. But he emphasizes the love here. If you keep my commandments. In another place, he said, If you love me, you'll obey me. So we say we love Him, but we have no intention of living the way He says. Doesn't work that way. When he says how we're to treat each other, we're to love each other, we're to forgive each other. When he says that trying to get something for nothing, trying to steal is wrong. All these young couples thinking it's okay to just live together and all that. You lose everything that God intended about marriage and about love and about sex. You ruin a lot of it. You think you're going to have something for yourself and you, 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 you unravel what God really wants to have. The good news is the grace of God can restore to you what the enemy takes from you. But you got to let God's grace do it. But somehow we think we can do it our way. We can do it however we want to do. And it's just going to be okay. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Um, and we know the blessing that comes Whenever we finally say, Lord, I want to do this your way. Why? Why? Well, because you say so, but it's deeper than that. It's because I love you. And I recognize your love for me. And I know that anything you ask me to do is out of love. And anything you say don't do is because you love me so much, you don't want it to hurt me. You know, there's nothing more painful as a parent or even a grandparent or a great-grandparent or whatever then when you try to protect those that you love because they don't know, they don't understand. Remember, our kids wouldn't understand. They want to, you know, play out in the street, you know. And, and as a parent, you know, you go, you go get them and you, you discipline them. You can't be out there. I don't want to see you out there again. And they think, well, you're trying to steal all my freedom. You don't care for me. I should have the right to do what I want. What they don't know is that they're going to get run over by something, maybe. 
or if they're wanting to play with fire. Or like I was always obsessed as a kid, and this is bad. Don't get any ideas from this. Disclaimer for the sermon, right? Please do not try this at home. But when I was even a little guy, I'd see my older brother holding the Roman candle during fireworks season and throwing firecrackers. I mean, you, ever, you know, the kids don't, man, I tell you, the whole video age has messed so many things up. You remember playing with the little army men? Come on, get a witness. Any of you guys or gals, army men? Right, they were little plastic people. They didn't move. You had to move them. I mean, kids nowadays, you gotta, you don't know how to use your imagination. But man, when there were fireworks available, we set them up, man, and we planted fireworks. And, you know, we had war, and we would blow up the army men. There was real battle going on, right? And then here comes the airplane with the Roman candles, choo, choo, choo. But it was dangerous. And if granny ever heard of it, you will put your eye out with that. Or it'll go off in your hand. And when dad would catch us throwing the firework, firecrackers, throwing them. Man, I'm telling you, he's like, and, and it was almost to the point that you're going to have to learn the hard way. And you ever have that little fast fuse? I remember it. I, I put the lighter up there, and it's like, instead of, and you throw it, you let it get to serve. Okay, there it is. So about time it hits the ground, it explodes. You can get good at that, but you keep pressing your luck. And then all of a sudden, shpow, right? And all fingers swelled and were burned. And it was like the most horrible pain. And, you know, and, and, and I'd heard the preacher preach some, and I thought, if this, is this what hell feels like? If it was over my whole body and all? And, 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 and you know, and no one, Dad didn't have a lot of compassion on me because of, see there? Yeah, yeah, you want to do that again? You want to do it again? <laughs> no, I didn't want to do it again. But then I realized all of that words he was saying, he wasn't just trying to keep me from having fun. He was trying to keep me f- to have all of these. And I, it's just by the grace of God, I've got them all. And except, except almost the end of this one, I about lost, didn't I, Caleb? Remember that? And so here's what I'm doing. I'm helping him a few years back, you know, on the table saw. And I said, now you got to be careful. you got to be careful of these things. And sure enough, something kicked back and I touched the blade just the tip of my finger, but it was right at the moment I was saying, man, you got to watch out. Like I needed to watch out, didn't I? (laughs) Uh, But but God loves us so much. And he says, if you abide in my love, you're going to keep my commandments. And it's all about love. It's not about rules. I like the way I said that because rules are like a negative thing, aren't they? Rules. Bad taste in my mouth. It's love that motivates me. To want to do what he knows is best for me. To just do what I ought to do if I just had enough sense to do it. Right? What I'd want to do. In other words, do what I would want to do if I had enough sense to want the right things. So since I don't, I've learned I just need to listen to him. Because he knows best. So if I'm biding in his love, part of that is, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Sometimes maybe I don't love him as much as I say I do. When you start looking at the fruit. I'm saying one thing, but I might show something different. If you love me, okay, I got to keep, you guys got to let me move on with this sermon, okay? Would you? Okay, thank you. (laughs) Uh, He says, greater love has, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, there that is again. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, 
but I chose you. See, he initiated the process and appointed you that you should go and do what? Bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you. Here it is again. It's a command that you love one another. He's talking about this love, this fellowship that we have. This word's lost a lot of its punch through the years. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And, and the Greek word, therefore, love is agape, which is a sacrificial giving up of yourself kind of love. And this, this fellowship that we have because we love each other in the Bible is called koinonia. And it means to share in common, to be in communion with each other. It, listen to me. It indicates a love and a belonging, the likes of which the world can never achieve nor understand. We belong to Christ, but we belong to each other as well. That's why if you isolate yourself from, uh, from the church, you isolate yourself from other believers, you're not going to do very well as a, vine, as a branch. I mean, you're not going to do very well. This is one of the things produced by discipleship, is that love of one another as we love him. Can I say this? Of course I can. And you know I'm going to. I don't know why I wasted time by asking that question. Just to kind of get us to refocus. You ever notice it's a lot easier to love Jesus than it is to love some of these other folks in here? No amens, but it's right there on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. That's why he commands us. He doesn't say this is like a suggestion. This is like a key thing that you could use in your life to to have your best life now. No, this is a command. And if we love him, we have to love each other. <laughs> it's a command. Yeah. Uh, listen to what he says about his disciples. He says, a new commandment. He said, just right before he said the vine thing. He said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. How much? Just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. And then he goes on to say, by this. By what? By the way you love each other. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how's the biggest way? The world out there are going to know that we're Christ followers. As we're loving him, we're loving each other. And they see something in us, the way we love, the way we serve each other, the way we forgive each other, the way we help each other. Is different than anything they've ever seen before. They can't explain it. And I want to tell you, people are drawn to that. Love is the mark, the identifying badge of discipleship. That if you're a disciple, there's going to be fruit and there's going to be love. That is one of the main fruits that's going to come out of our life. How do I know I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus? How do I know that I'm growing in my love for Jesus Christ? Well, I'm obeying him. But one of the main ways is my love for other people, especially those in the family of God is growing as well. You can't love God and grow in that love and hate your brother or sister. That's oil and water. It doesn't mix. He said, this is how. Um, the, Bi- the Bible says a couple of basic things about love. First, we're to love God. Uh, let's just put it up there. Are you ready? This is what he said. Jesus said about this said in Matthew 22, 37, 38. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So we're to love God with everything in us. And the second one 
is this in verse 39. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything that was written hinges on that. But now, with the fulfillment of the law and of the prophets through Christ, there is a new, there is a supernatural dimension to love that goes beyond just loving. And how many of us actually love our neighbor? You know, and and who's my neighbor? Wouldn't you like to be my neighbor? Uh, (laughs) It's not just Mr. Rogers. Jesus gave this crazy story about someone that was despised by people that he was talking to and they were called Samaritans and they were looked down upon and they were despised in all categories. They were really looked down on. And he told this story about a guy being in need and the hero of the story was a Samaritan that come along. There was a priest, there was a Levite and they ignored the guy. Remember the story of the good Samaritan, right? Who's your neighbor? Whoever has need, whoever's around you, whoever you come in contact with. Uh, God will pick and choose who your neighbor is. You don't pick and choose. I'd like to, but that's not the way it works. How many of us love our neighbor and put their needs ahead of our very own? Well, we've got some growing to do. But now when it comes to this new commandment, why is he, I thought the commandment is to love one another. That's an old commandment. No, he, it's new now because Christ fulfilling the law and the prophets, he gives it a new dimension, a dynamic, a supernatural dim, dimension because he says you're to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, but you're to love each other as much as I love you. This is the one who went to the cross. This is the one who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he died on the cross and experienced that? And it's new. It's new in its meaning because he tells us it's like a testimony to the whole world, this new meaning that it has, uh, that this is how people are going to know. It's a, it, it's, it's a part of the purpose of it, that the world will know. It's the most powerful witness of all because of the fruit of love that comes out of your life toward each other. Are they seeing that? Or are we just pretty much like everybody else, whether they know the Lord or not? There's another level here, Jesus says, if you're my disciple. The means of this love is new because it is actually Christ's love. It is him, the love of Calvary, spilling into our life and flowing over onto other people. It is Jesus loving others through us. That's what is Christ flowing through us. So sometimes if I say, Lord, I have trouble loving them, but I know you love them. Give me some of that, right? It's amazing how he can do that. And the magnitude of it is new. Because this whole new depth to this love, to love as much as Christ loves us, is provided through a supernatural infusion of him, through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you say, well, I can't love like that. Well, it takes the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to work through you to do this. No, you and I can't, but he can. Well, I let him. And as I said, it's a commanded love. He didn't say it's just a good idea if y'all do this. He said, I command you to love one another. Not optional. Even when we don't feel like it. Maybe that's the main time. If everybody just treated me great and everything was just, you know, happily ever after all that, it would be, it would be what kind of testimony? But when someone really does or says something rotten to you and you're able, now trust is earned, by the way. Love is unconditional, right? right? You steal from me, I'm not going to let you hold my wallet, you know. Whenever I go do something, okay? Just, just so you know. But love and forgiveness and all of that. So you got to have a common sense. But, but when, when somebody treats you badly and you respond to it, how you deal with that, that shows the world something. Okay? 
Remember when Jesus said, if you only do good to those that do good to you, you're no different than the tax collectors and the worst sinners we got. Because they do that. But when you do good to those who do evil to you, that. That's when you see the love of God. Doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're strong. Anybody can try to get revenge. But it takes somebody strong to return love for hate and good for evil. Because that's exactly what our God has done for us. There was a guy who came in one time, and him and his wife were at the end. They were going to divorce. They had been fighting like crazy. And I guess he thought the pastor would say, yeah, it looks like y'all have irreconcilable. I reckon reckon y'all are irreconcilable. But instead of saying that, he says, well, you know, the Bible says, you guys both claim to be Christians. The Bible says you're to love your wife just like Christ loved the church and gave himself. Can't do it. It's too much. He said, well, if that's too high a level, he said to love your neighbor, your wife's like one of your neighbors, you know, why can't you love your neighbor like you love yourself? And he was so, so angry. He said, that's still too much. She's not like a neighbor. She's like an enemy. He said, well, good news. Jesus said that we're to love our enemies. Start there, buddy. (laughs) Start there. (sighs) And let it grow from that. So anyway, that's how God must work. Now, last of all, the fulfillment. And I'm just going to mention this because this isn't the first and foremost thing that we focus on. Because our focus is on him and glorifying him, not us. This is not us. But there is great reward and fulfillment in being a Christ follower. And letting him produce his love in us and fruit in us that glorifies him. This isn't the reason I become a disciple, just for what I get out of it. You know, at first that might be the understanding, but we grow because it's all about Him. But if we are following Him, He's already told us to deny ourselves, right? Take up the cross and follow Him. But I'm denying myself. If I'm following Him, there's no way that I'm not going to be fulfilled and blessed. It may be in a different way than what you're thinking right now, but it's a better way a more substantial way, a more eternal way. In Mark 10, there's a story about a man who wanted to follow Jesus, remember? Uh, and, and, and he asked what you know, must do to have eternal life, and Jesus told him his commandments, and he said, you know, I've done this. Of course, Jesus left out like covetousness and some things like that. But, but anyway, he said, I've done all this from my youth up, and he said, well, get rid of everything you've got, and give it to the poor and help people, and you come follow me. And it says the young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions, right? What did that tell us? His possessions were actually more important than eternal life and following Jesus at that moment, right? But then, okay, are you still with me? We're wrapping up, come on. He turned and walked away from Jesus. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said something that you've heard, but you weren't impacted like they were. Because they had been taught, kind of like the prosperity gospel people, that if somebody's rich and they got all this stuff, it means that, well, they're really righteous, because that's just how it is. So these, these religious leaders and different ones who are super rich, even though they had stolen from a lot of them. But anyway, they were super rich. They thought they're the ones that must be righteous. You know, that was wrong. That's wrong. The richest, some of the richest people in the world are some of the most wicked people in the world. So it doesn't work like that. You might hear some TV preachers say that, but that's not what the Bible says. 
Jesus said this, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, they were amazed by that because they had been taught that those were the ones who were going in because they're being rewarded and blessed and they're righteous, right? Okay. So it's not the way you grade things. But there's true riches. Yet, also understand this, you can't outgive God. But you've got a different motive. You've got a different focus. Because here's what Jesus, oh, Peter, he comes up and um, he's like, wait a minute, Lord. We left everything. We even dropped our business, right? Remember? And followed you. So I want you to keep this in mind when you do it right. Here's the fulfillment. So it's not about rewards, but you're going to be rewarded. I'm just saying. So the next verse, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Not just in heaven. Did you hear that? Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers with children and lands with pers- Oh, well, he throws that in there. Oh, by the way, there's still going to be persecution. And guess what? In the age to come, bonus, eternal life. Amen. You can't beat that deal. What's he saying? He's saying... If your mother rejects you because you're following him, God's going to give you new mothers in the body of Christ. If your father has turned away from you because you're following me, he says, God's going to give you new dads in the kingdom of God. Listen, God is not going to be anyone's debtor. He's never going to be in debt to you. If you give him all of you, he will give you all of him. One reason some of us seem to have so little of God is because he has so little of us. Maybe a few hours here and there on Sunday morning. Things like that. No wonder we're not being fruitful. There's no shortcut to discipleship. It's hard and it's costly. Even says with persecutions. What do we expect from our pagan world we live in? I I mean, I'm past the point where I'm insulted by stuff that comes through the media and all of that. Because what do I expect heathens to do? Act like heathens. We need to be salt and light to those around us so they see the produce of being a Christ follower coming through our lives. And they're attracted not so much to us, but to him. And he's going to change one life at a time, one person at a time. It's going to invade one community at a time. And if we just keep being the disciples that Christ wants us to be, we're going to change our community. We'll have an impact for good on our community. We'll have an impact on this state. We'll have an impact on this nation. But that's still too short-sighted. How about the whole world? That's where God's got his eyes. This all ain't about the United States of America. It's about the whole world and that every tribe, every nation, every language group in the world would hear the gospel And people come into his kingdom and become Christ followers. Like Jesus said, our rewards begin right here in this life. And they just accelerate right throughout forever. Christ is the only one that can fulfill your life. Let's pray. Father.